0: this morning. Good. Man, y'all sound good. Clapping. I love it. I was impressed. You all give you, I'm going to give you a chance to give yourselves an ovation. Y'all went like, during the song too. Like on rhythm and everything. Give yourselves a round of applause. That was impressive. I, I was prouder of you than you are of yourself. I thought it was really, really, really great. You know, that song is, is actually what it's really all about. Now, I don't mean just because it's the new year, but when you think about what it is that God does, what it is that he calls us to, it is change. It is all about being brought from death to life. I love that line, why would I turn back now because of the love that I have found? I've been changed. I've been changed. And I do think it is perfect for this Sunday as we kick off a new year together. And before we kick it off, I want to ask you, if you will, do me one more favor, because I want to think back just a couple of weeks. Will you join me in thanking Pastor Jeff Melvin and Pastor Terry Cadwell for preaching into the life of our church and speaking the last couple of weeks? We are so, 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 so blessed by our staff and our team and uh, by those two men in particular. I'm so grateful to them for, for preaching and speaking in. Gave us a little time off as a family. Got to get away and kind of recharge a little bit. Also got to eat a little bit of food. And so we're ready to go. We are fired up and ready in this new year. I want to start by asking you a question. And before I ask you the question, I want to remind you, number one, this is family. So However you answer the question, it stays in this room. Nobody would ever use it against you later on. Second thing I want to remind you of is this is church. So God is really listening, so don't lie. So when I ask you the question, I want you to answer truthfully and honestly and with absolutely complete freedom and abandon. Here's my first question for you. How many of us in this room today have made New Year's resolutions. I just wanna see a show of hands. Just raise your hand up high in the air. Be proud of your resolve. It's so funny when you ask people if they made a resolution, like, I don't feel good about their chances, but that's, that's a whole nother deal. But those would be like, and that, that's somebody who they're, they're down. They're, they want the accountability. Now let me ask you another question. This is the 13th of January, so we were, we're into it a little bit, but it's still the new year, I think we would all agree. Those of us who just raised our hands, how many of us are still on track with the resolutions we've made? Let me just see a show of hands. Very good, hands going up all the, fewer hands, but still hands going up. Now I ask you that question, to ask you this question. How many of us in the room have made a conscious decision and resolved to not make a New Year's resolution? Can I just see a show of hands? Now that's fascinating. I think that's hilarious. And again, there's no wrong answer, right or wrong to this, it's just kind of a curiosity thing that I'm asking. But I will say this: to those of you who did not make a resolution, who, who made a conscious decision, I'm not talking about people who forgot to make a resolution. People who chose, decided they would not make a New Year's resolution. I just want you to know that your pastor feels you. Like I, I'm, I'm I, I get it. And I'm not opposed to resolutions. I think they can be incredibly helpful sometimes. I just know in my own life, from my own experience, I need a lot more than kind of a vague resolution. I need a goal. I need something that is specific. I need something that is measurable. I need something that has a deadline. Because when I made resolutions, they were so kind of like, I'm gonna lose weight or I'm gonna be a better husband How do you know if you've hit that mark? I mean, how could I be a better husband? That's what I keep asking Julie. But when when you set goals, I don't know why you laughed like you did at that, but that's okay, we'll move on. When you set a goal, then you've got a specific target that you're aiming at. It's measurable. You know if you did or if you didn't. And, And there's usually a timeline associated with it. You see, whether you make resolutions or you don't make resolutions, the reality is that the new year is a phenomenal opportunity at a, a blank slate, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, just a crisp blank canvas of opportunity to, to change what might have been for what could be. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what your particular story is. Some of you, you may have decided, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to shift my body fat composition. And you're measuring and you're doing all that kind of stuff and you're measuring macros and your food. And Man, that's awesome. Way to go. That's great for you. But the reality is we all understand the need for change. We all understand the reality that we cannot stay the same. And so the question then becomes, do we change deliberately by design or do we change by default? And that's what this whole series that we're beginning today is all about. This idea of morph, of moving deliberately and intentionally into what God has created us for, into what he has called us to experience and to live out and it's against that backdrop that I think we, we have to decide just how deliberate we're really going to be. And, and the fact is, some of us may only need to, to drop, you know, two or three percent body fat to be in a world-class athletic shape like I am. Some of us, Now see again, there you go laughing. And it's just, but the fact is that some changes go a lot deeper than that. The fact is that sometimes our changes might be life-threatening. It might be a matter of life or death to to abdicate an addiction, to, to abandon a compulsion that has controlled our lives, our time, our thoughts, our relationships. And if that's the case, I've got great news for you this morning. There is absolutely an answer. There is absolutely hope. And obviously we can't completely transform that need in the next 20 or 30 minutes. But the fact of the matter is we can't open ourselves up to the possibility. We can't open our minds and our hearts and our lives to the reality that God Almighty wants to change your life. He wants to change my life for the better. And the good news is that the good news of Jesus Christ, every single area of life that it touches gets better. Every single part gets stronger, more powerful, more beautiful, healthier. Now that's not to suggest to you for even a remote second that it's easy, but it is absolutely there for the taking. This idea of change, of, of morphing in our lives is rooted in the reality of Romans chapter number 12. If you've got a Bible, I want you to look in Romans 12. And if you don't have a Bible on you, you can download a, a phenomenal app called the U Version, just on your phone or your iPad or whatever you use. There, there's a, and it doesn't matter what phone you have, it's called you Version, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. And it is an incredible... You have the Bible and all kinds of resources there, right there at your fingertips all the time. And I would encourage you to get that. But in Romans chapter 12, this is what God says in the Bible God says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good pleasing, and perfect will. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That that word in the original Greek, to be transformed, is a word that we're familiar with, believe it or not. In in the Greek, it would be pronounced metamorphosthe. Metamorphosthe is how the Greeks pronounced it. That's why I was having trouble with it right there. But it's the same word that we use for metamorphosis, a change. You you think about a a caterpillar that becomes the lovely butterfly. This is the idea behind this transformation that happens. But it's a transformation that happens right here in our brains, in in our minds, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, here's what's fascinating is the rate at which modern science is catching up with scripture. I want everybody to take your pointer finger and just hold it up like that, and then very gently touch it to your forehead, not your neighbors, but your forehead. You're pointing at the most powerful engine for change in the entire world. Not just your brain or your mind. Keep it there for just a second, that's okay. Not just your brain or your mind, but specifically your prefrontal cortex. Now you can take your finger away. The prefrontal cortex is the thing in our brains that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. The prefrontal cortex is where human beings have developed the ability and the capacity to think about what we think about. God is saying here in Romans chapter 12, you, we are changed by the renewing of our minds. Because our minds are powerful. It's in our minds that we decide to change. And change is one of those things that we kind of resist, don't we? I mean, we, we, we stiff-arm change at every opportunity. I remember when Emily, I want to say she was in first grade, came home devastated. Devastated. Because they had changed personnel in the cafeteria where she got lunch every single day. And I will and I and I don't mean like a little sad. They changed lunch ladies. This is a direct quote. And if anything I'm dialing back the drama from what actually happened. We said, "Well, Emily, that's okay. Anybody can serve you lunch and I'm sure the new lunch lady is a wonderful person. She's not The old lady said, hi, Emily, how are you? The new one just says, here. (laughs) This is what we parented through back in the day. But I think all of us can identify with six-year-old Emily to some degree. Because even if we know the change is going to be good, there's part of us that's like, yeah, but I know what I'm dealing with now. I know I'm familiar with my current set of circumstances. I'm not saying I like them. I'm just saying I'm familiar with them. And so we, we stiff arm change or metamorphosis at our own peril. God says you are changed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind, Now here's what science knows and has discovered about the prefrontal cortex. It's in the prefrontal cortex that we make value judgments about decisions. It's where we decide between good and evil, between light and darkness, between kale and ice cream. That all happens right here in the prefrontal cortex. Now, here's what's fascinating about the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is like a muscle. You can actually build physically the material of the prefrontal cortex so that it works better. You can grow and develop your prefrontal cortex like your pastor has developed his shoulders. You can develop that by exercising it. But here's what's equally fascinating about the prefrontal cortex. As powerful as it is, It is an energy gas guzzler. It it just is an energy suck. You make one good decision. You're walking by the chocolate chip cookies. You just walk by the chocolate chip cookies. Your prefrontal cortex is grinding at that point. Now, it will come back stronger than it was before you walked by the chocolate chip cookies, but in the immediate aftermath of walking past the chocolate chip cookies, Your prefrontal cortex is tired. The cortex needs a rest, needs to take a knee. And so, when you're tired, when I'm depleted, when we haven't gotten enough sleep, when we're stressed, when we're anxious, the prefrontal cortex is not firing on all cylinders. It's like somebody poured sugar in the tank. Now, all of us are familiar with that dynamic. You, you know what it's like. How many times over the holidays did we walk past the chocolate chip cookies only to go, it's only the holidays. I mean, I'm celebrating the birth of our Lord, really? That was the laugh of recognition from some of you. But God tells us biblically, long before science could probe the human brain, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds that we get serious about experiencing that which Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead for us to experience by the renewing of our minds. What we're saying is that we make 2019 the year where we decide, we deliberately choose to think about what we're gonna think about. We're not gonna just live reactively I did a little research this week. How many of y'all watch Netflix? Can I just see a show of hands if you want? I do. I'm still got my hand up, so I'm not about to rip you, okay? I was watching Netflix and I thought about Las Vegas. Netflix and other sites like it, but Netflix and Vegas understand our vulnerabilities better than we do. Like you pull up Netflix, stuff just starts playing. And, and like it's usually funny. It's like, poop. <laughs> that is so funny. I'm gonna go see what's up with that. Boom, before you know that, you're in a four-hour black hole of binge watching. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> and, and it's not Netflix's fault. They're in business to make money. That's their job. But unless we think about what we think about, we're going to spend more time looking at Netflix than we are being changed by the Holy Spirit of God to experience everything he's created us for. So I'm, this isn't about anti-Netflix per se. I'm just saying, let's be deliberate. Let's, let's, let's think about it. Now, I said Netflix was like Vegas. You go to Vegas, man, the casinos Are brilliantly architected, brilliantly designed. No windows, no windows. That's so you can stay at the tables giving them your money no matter the time of the day or night. They pump out the cigarette smoke, they pump in the smell of give your money away, and all the time. (laughs) But they understand our vulnerabilities. Nobody understands people like Netflix and Vegas and Disney. Do you think it's an accident at Disney World that you can't see the end of the line that you step into? (laughs) Roy wasn't, I mean, Walt was an evil genius. We have to think about what we think about. This is how we are changed. Robert Sapolsky is a Stanford neurobiologist and he believes that the prefrontal cortex is hardwired to cause us to do the harder thing. The harder thing. The prefrontal cortex is where we make the choice to walk by the chocolate chip cookies or where we make the choice To abandon the addiction. To walk away from that compulsion that controls. Now change, as we've said, we we don't necessarily embrace change. And a lot of times we'll we'll throw up smoke screens. We'll, We'll say things to ourselves even subconsciously. Change is hard. Change is so hard. It takes so long to change. No, it doesn't. I want to ask you to do something. Everybody do this just real quick. On the count of three, I want you to give me one clap, all right? One, two, three. That's how long it takes to change. That's how long it takes to make the decision to change. To sustain a change, a transformation takes a lot longer. But to decide to change happens like that. You choose to change. So much happens in our brains and in our minds that we're not even aware of. One researcher asked a group of subjects, "How many decisions do you make in a day about food?" It's an interesting question. We all got to eat, right? How many decisions do you make about food in a given day? How many? How many do you just? I want you to think about yourself. Think through a regular day, not the holidays but how many decisions about food do you make in a day? The average answer from this group of test subjects was 12. They said they, they assumed that they made about 12 decisions. Then the researchers handed them journals and said, what I want you to do is every time you think about food and making a choice, I want you to journal that in this journal that we're giving you. So we were, we're asking you to think about what you think about as it relates to food when the test subjects brought their journals back in, the average number of thoughts about food and decisions about food through a given day averaged 227. Now some of you are thinking, that sounds a little low. (laughs) But the point is, that's how much goes on in our brains that we're not even aware of. How much thinking we do without thinking. The average woman in the United States of America thinks about sex every eight hours. Some of you are thinking that sounds a little high. The average male thinks about sex every four seconds. Some of you are thinking that sounds a little low. These are averages. The point is, what happens in our brain is more powerful than we can possibly. Imagine we are changed by the renewing of our minds, Psalm chapter nineteen, verse fourteen. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Meditating is thinking about thinking, and I and I know there are a lot of wackadoodle do meditation schemes out there. There are. No, just go get to the core of who you are. Don't, don't go to the core of who you are. Go to the core of who God is. We have to make sure that our meditation is spirit-led and not self-fed. We can get in a lot of trouble that way. Jeremiah tells us that the human heart is deceptive above all else. Anybody ever get in trouble following your feelings? Can I just see a show of hands? If you've ever gotten in trouble following your feelings, those of you not raising your hand, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the thinking about my thinking, being deliberate in what I think about, what I ponder, be pleasing to you, O Lord. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts on these things. That that doesn't mean that you have to repair your thoughts. (laughs) That means that you fasten your thoughts. You you hook your thoughts up to the things that are lovely, and pure, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Man, if, if we got serious about that, if we decided to do exactly what God says, how much television movies how much music would go by the wayside if all we took in was that which is lovely and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy if you'd started doing that let me tell you what you could do you could take a nap you could take an, you would save so much time cutting that junk out of your life you could take a nap How many of you know the sacred value of a nap? Can I just see a show of hands? Naps are unbelievable. Julie doesn't like to nap. She's she's not a great napper. I feel like I failed to not impart this gift to her. But I want to just take a real deliberate step into how we renew our minds? How do, we, how do we go about changing our minds for good? And I wanna give you a list of things to write down and take with you that we're gonna come back to in the coming weeks throughout this series. This is how you change your mind. Number one, self-control. Self, now some of you think, well, Mac, that's kind of redundant. You're telling me to do self-control by having self-control. No. Here's the reality. The practice of self-control cultivates the presence of self-control. The more we practice self-control, the more that mental muscle gets developed in our minds, the more it matures. So when you walk past the chocolate chip cookies, you are creating mental muscle memory. You walk past it. and, And isn't it true When you you practice self-control, there's a part of you that's kind of like, good job. Well done. Matter of fact, tell your neighbor right now, well done. Because just like all of us have not practiced self-control at some point in the last week, probably, we've also practiced self-control. I want you to do something just for a moment. I want you to think about something that you have done that you're proud of. Something that you've done that you're proud of. I don't mean arrogance. I just mean it's like, I did a good job on that. You know what's fascinating right now? If you were to look around the room and see what I'm seeing, you see smiles all around the room. You think of something that you've done well. It's kind of like, it's pretty cool. I think about, for example, marrying Julie. Way, way out of my league. I'm like, that's pretty cool. 27 years, having a ball. We have our moments, but we're having a ball. That's pretty cool. Something that you're proud of. That feeling triggers the same gear in your mind as self control. That, that same little shot of dopamine that you just got in your brain is like, whoa. Self-control does the same thing. You know what? There's a restaurant nearby that has a Sunday brunch that about six or eight months ago we discovered for the first time. And the restaurant had been here for, I didn't know they had a, a, break, a brunch menu. And they do this, this flatbread thing for, for brunch It's like real, real thin crust, incredible cheese on the top. And then it's got lemon drizzled arugula with bacon on top of it. It is redonkulous good. It is so good. And like I said, we've we've been kind of out of pocket for the last few weeks. And so this week I was thinking about, you know, back preaching on Sunday and Let's let's go get let's go get that flat bread, that that brunch flat bread. That'd be awesome. And so on Wednesday I said, Hey Julie, let, let's let's go get that. And she goes, Okay, that'd be great. Oh, I forgot to tell you, they've also got a fried egg on this thing. So you 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 cut into it and then the yolk just runs all over. It's unbelievable. So Wednesday I thought that'd be great. But as I continued preparing for my sermon. I keep reading this stuff about self-control. I keep reading this stuff about the prefrontal cortex. So we're having salad at home for lunch today. (laughs) The company will be spectacular. But there's a part of me, there's a part of me that's already kind of like, Because listen, Sunday afternoon after preaching and after church, two services, man, that's when my defenses are at their absolute lowest. That's that's when I'm like, man, give me the flat bread with the bacon and the cheese and I'll do a burger to wash it down. (laughs) But it's that practice of self-control that cultivates self-control. Second way that you change your mind is gratitude. Gratitude. And here's the deal, it has to be gratitude expressed. It's not enough to just feel it. You have to express it. When our kids were really little, the second they could talk, we told them, you're gonna order your own food in a restaurant. And when the waiter brings your food, you tell her thank you, or him thank you. And when our kids were really little, they were like, thank you. And we were like, hey, Joe, Emily, that doesn't count. When you say thank you to somebody, they have to hear you say it. So the next time we go to the restaurant, waiter bring the food, they'd be like, Thank you. Right? Like, they still didn't hear you. Waiters are moving fast, it's hot, it's busy, it's the hardest job in the world. Thank you. Just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gratitude is great to receive. But research also shows that it physically helps us. Express it. Our bodies function better when we express gratitude. Being grateful renews the mind. Third way is through scripture. Scripture, Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing both joint and marrow, bone. What that means is, what that means is It's not only about us reading the Bible, it's about inviting the Bible to read us. It's about letting the word of God sink into our lives and diagnose our heart condition from moment to moment, decision to decision, scripture. Number four is prayer. Prayer transforms our mind. When you pray to God, when I talk to God openly, conversationally, that renews my mind. It reminds me of his amazing power and awesome presence in my life. But it also reminds me of my place with him. We're we're gonna talk throughout this series about self-awareness, but prayer is huge. Number five is community, community. You have to be in community with other people Sharpen your mind. Iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. This next one is fun. Number six is rest. Rest renews our minds. We need sleep. We need our kids need sleep. Sleep deprivation in children manifests exactly the same as legitimate. Attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity. Sleep deprivation and ADHD manifest the same. And so I, we just need to make sure that we're doing everything we can in our lives and the lives of our children to get enough rest. God loves you so much, He loves me so much, He commands us to rest one day a week. Just just to just take a day off. Who said you can take a day off? God. But you know, we live in a world that that rewards and worships busyness. I can't take a day off. They'll think I'm lazy. No, the next time they see you, they're gonna think you're amazingly refreshed and ready to rock. Rest. Renews the mind. Rest at night. Rest in the week. Rest. Rest. Number seven, exercise. Move around. You, you got to move. You got to, you got to work. Our bodies were built for work. You know, it, it's not that long ago in, in human history that, that work was unlimited and food was very, very scarce physically. Now, food is unlimited for most of us and physical exertion is very, very scarce. Something's gotten messed up. But when we exercise, scientists tell us that exercise is a miracle drug for the brain. It is a miracle drug for the brain to move. You want to re- hyper turbocharge your exercise? Do it outside. Get outside in the sunshine. Breathe actual air. It's crazy. And you may have to wait until after cedar season, but And the last one, number eight, food. The Bible tells us that food renews our minds. Science tells us that what we put into our bodies physically affects what happens mentally, cognitively. There are three ways that the Bible looks at food. Number one is fuel. We we eat for fuel. That's why I'm having salad for lunch instead of flatbread. But there's also fasting that we step aside and away from food for a season, maybe a day, maybe Jesus did it 40 days and 40 nights before he was tempted, maybe somewhere in between there, but we step aside from our physical need in order to focus on our spiritual growth. So fasting is a part of that. But also in the Bible, over and over and over again, food is used for feasting. Feasting is a biblical concept. When the prodigal son came home, they killed the fatted calf. Red meat, bro. I believe they had biscuits too. I don't know that, but that's what I believe. The feast, there there is always a feast. The Bible tells us when we go to our ultimate, ultimate residential reward with God, the Bible refers to that as the wedding feast of the lamb. If, you, if you've ever been to a wedding that has a, has a big old spread and you know, man, they're celebrating that couple. That pales in comparison to the feast that God will throw for his children when he brings them home. So, so feasting is a good thing. So I, I want you to see all of the tools that God has given us for the renewing of our minds so that We are transformed. We are are changed to be more like Christ. This is where we're going over the next few weeks. I'm beside myself to to experience this with you, to prepare and, and to study and to lead through this. But I never want us to lose sight of what's really, really going on of what's really and truly at stake. Second Corinthians chapter five. The Bible says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. There's there's a change, there's a morphing that happened. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. I think a lot of times with our New Year's resolutions, we're not aiming high enough. We don't understand that this isn't just about moderate levels of incremental life change. This is about being taken from death to life, from darkness to light. Because God loves you that much. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this Sacred moment. I want to ask nobody moving around or stirring for any reason. It's too important. It's too important for, to create a distraction. But if you're here and, and you've never taken hold of that new life definitively, deliberately, then we want to give you the opportunity to do that. to to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer that morphs your life, a prayer that changes. If that's you, then you pray silently talking to God, something like this. Just, Just say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward in a new life with you. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. But if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church, as a family of faith, we want to help. We want to come alongside. And so I want to ask you to do just a couple of things. Just right now, right where you're sitting, if you would open up the program that you got when you came in and you'll notice there's a Connect card in there. If you would just start filling that out You'll see there's a place to indicate there, I committed my life to Christ. That's what just happened. And then if you'll tear that off along the perforation once you've finished it, when our service ends in just a moment, if you'll hand that to one of our ushers or hosts, then what that'll do is it'll allow a conversation to begin. It'll, It'll proceed at whatever pace works for you this week at some point just so we can help to come alongside with you in what's next and what that looks like. The second thing I would ask you to do, if you would, is just, as our heads are bowed for another second, if you would, just raise your hand. If that was your prayer and you meant it, just, just raise your hand as a physical statement of that spiritual commitment that you just made. And know that you're surrounded by people who want to be a family with you who want to help you can go ahead and put your hands down but we're going to put our hands together just to tell you welcome home welcome home